Hey, it's been uh, an exciting kind of season and last couple weeks for me as we've been rolling more and more into uh, this vision that we have for the next three years at River City Church. We've been in this series called Next, uh, now progressively week after week, working through these five different things that we hope to become over the next three years. Five things that we hope could say are true of River City Church as we pursue uh, our vision and mission. And so last week, uh, we talked about being formed. Uh, We talked about what it means to be a people uh, who, as a body, are through the Spirit being formed to become more like Jesus uh, through unified practices of formation expressed in unique individual ways. And so we went over that this last week. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about a local impact, or our desire that we would be a church that has impact. That is this, uh, that we would respond to God's kindness uh, through unnatural generosity in our community, leading to positive local impact. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me Um, And and Troy just alluded to this, was that we moved into this building, uh, which God has just been so kind and gracious to to establish uh, a partnership with a church called Remembrance that has let us be in this space, uh, let us move kind of into this neighborhood. And we were so excited about that and both uh, the ministry potential of being in this neighborhood, as well as just having uh, kind of a location to call home for however long God with will. And so we moved in here, we were excited. I remember like, uh, as I was meeting with that other church and kind of pitching, like, hey, here's why I think you should be generous to us and let us meet in this space. Uh, one of the things I talked about is, is the way that this building literally sits on train tracks and how I don't know of actually a, a, a kind of a square ballock neighborhood in Grand Rapids, like the Northeast, where you have so many different people from so many walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, uh, different uh, kind of uh, age, and just a, a, a whole uh, microchasm of all these different people. It was like, We're going to be able to go out into this neighborhood and just really do some good and meet these people. And and then COVID happened. Um, and we were able to do a few things through COVID. Um, we were able to like uh, uh, do a, a, a coat and glove and hat drive for a local school. That's something we uh, will likely do again here in the coming weeks. In the fall, we were able to do uh, like a candy handout thing that was fun, but was honestly, if I'm, if I'm completely honest, like a little disappointing in terms of like uh, the inability in that moment of feeling like we could like actually make relationships with the people that we were doing something nice for. Um, it, it just felt so many ways, like the the excitement and the vision uh, to be able to pour into this neighborhood was just kind of snuffed out by the situation that we were in. Um, And and then I have to be honest with you, coming out of that, like beginning to think about this, and and I don't know about you, but like there's this interesting thing that happens when like, uh, when you're disappointed, is that you go from like frustrated to defeated and then defeated to even just feeling really guilty. Um, and, and when we were at our elders retreat way back in uh, May and, and kind of thinking about where we were in the space, man, I just felt like so heavy with guilt and with shame about everything that we hadn't been able to do. Um, about the like low number of people from the immediate neighborhood that we get to serve here, that, that attend here in any way, um, just felt bad. Um, I had this reminder, two things, first of all, that that shame and guilt are, are rarely from God. Uh, shame in particular, like never. Um, and, and then I had this like, and I don't mean this in some sort of super spiritual way, but I just had this, this thought that I really do believe was from God um, that, that just said like, hey, 
what if there was grace for everything that you haven't done and you got to try again? Would you want to? And this came like after like a day of just feeling so broken and sad and then sleeping through the night and then having that thought. If there was grace for everything that you hadn't done, would you want to try? And my answer was like, yeah. Like that would be so life-giving to know that, that God had already forgiven me for everything where I felt like I didn't measure up, every, every area where I felt like I didn't pour in enough and then said like, hey, there is still an opportunity to just try, to just step forward in faithfulness. And out of that became this desire that one of the things that would be true of River City Church is that no matter where we meet, because if we're honest, uh, we have no idea day to day kind of how God is going to like point us and shape us as a church, the opportunities that will be there or won't be there. And in a sense, like while I like have this heart and I want us to be in Grand Rapids, where we are in Grand Rapids is in so many ways up to the Lord and how he provides and where he points us. But no matter where we are, we want to be a church that is having Uh, a a positive local impact in the immediate area where we gather. And so this dream was born out of that, that we would have uh, the generosity that God has extended to us begin uh, in this next season to reverberate outside of our walls. Uh, What do we want that to look like? Well, we're gonna go today to Matthew chapter five, where I think we get some really clear instructions from Jesus uh, as to what the church is supposed to look like uh, in its immediate context. So if you wanna turn there, Matthew five, Uh, We will start at verse 13. Uh, These are Jesus's words. He says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Uh, This is Jesus speaking uh, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We've gotten to hit a few things from this in the past couple weeks. Uh, And Jesus is explaining to the crowds what it should look like. uh, What should the perception of believers be? How should they see themselves in the world that they step out into? And he's going to use two illustrations in this. Uh, The first is salt. Uh, Let me read it to you again. He says, uh, what if the salt should lose its taste? How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus uses this illustration of salt. Um, I love this passage, and I think part of that is because I have a, uh, a, a unique relationship with salt. Um, I really, really like it. Um, I... I, I decided to pull back and I only brought three salts from my salt collection. I did not go buy these. Uh, these are three salts that I own. When we were uh, renovating our kitchen and packing up our kitchen, I, I began to like pull all the spices out. And I think I even made like a little Instagram video because I had like 11 different kinds of salt, unique varieties of salt. So these are just a few. I thought we'd have fun for a minute because Troy didn't understand what they were. Uh, so th- this is one of my favorites. This is Cabernet de Sol. So this is a salt uh, that, that is called, it's called the Cabernet Cabernet from the sun. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, like the wine varietal Cabernet. So this is a really interesting Hawaiian salt. I make these uh, custom crackers for when we do cheese boards. It's real fun. Uh, and this is the salt I put on those crackers. I love it. It's got like a rich, almost sweetness to it. Uh, this is Florida salt. Like this is, this is a pretty, this is a famous salt. Maybe some of you know it. It's a really light kind of flaky salt. Great for like finishing a fine piece of meat. Really good. Uh, and then this is a fun one. Okay, look at this. Isn't that good? Yeah. Look excited. 
Okay? This is a, a black salt and it's these big flakes. I really like this. Like this is fun on like fish or like on uh, like if you do um, like, a, like a fresh mozzarella or burrata kind of thing. Just really exciting. Um, yeah, so have a great week. Um, we'll, see you, we'll see you next. I really like salt. I um, just want to bring a few. I, I think the thing about salt is, is that like, you know, what's interesting about these is like, yeah, they're, they're good on their own, but that's not the point of them at all, right? Like the, the point of salt has very little to do with the taste of salt, that what salt really does is it adds interest and it brings out what is there in, in other things. Um, I remember a long time ago, my dad uh, has some hearing issues and they were trying to sort through why he had those hearing issues. And, and they thought that perhaps um, like his sodium intake was a part of it. And so they, they instructed him like, hey, we need you for at least like a couple weeks to just kind of go off of sodium as much as you can. And so being like a loving and supporting family for about 24 hours, we tried to do that with him. Uh, it was horrific. Um, it was like literally one of the worst things. Everything, I challenge you today for lunch, go have a piece of chicken and don't put any salt on it. Uh, you are eating a tire. Like, I don't know any other way. It's just awful. Uh, that, that salt has this amazing property that, that it's, its ability to season, its ability to bring out flavors that are already there in other things is just spectacular. It's almost miraculous. Um, and, and I don't say this in a joking way. It's insane um, to work through this. I was reading, wow, I'm gonna talk a lot about salt today. Um, none of this is in my notes. I was reading this book. I remember uh, Tom Colicchio, Think Like a Chef, great book on how to learn uh, to cook. And he was talking about how like as a kid, he cooked this steak and he cut it up and he began to put salt on each piece and then just add a little bit more to each one and work through the way that the taste of that changed. Now, this might seem like too much, but, but understand this, like this is how Jesus says that you are to be to the world. Would you say of yourself and the believers that you know that their presence in the world makes the world better? that it brings out what in the world is good and it accentuates it. Would you say that about yourself? Jesus says that believers in the world, Christians, followers of Jesus in the world are to be like a seasoning. Uh, he says this so much that he says like people in the world, they will be defined by the fact that they are like salt. They are defined by their presence and the world's ability to perceive that because they are there, the world is a better place. A people whom if they were removed from the world, there would be great, great deficit. Now, this is culturally hard right now. Because by and large, uh, because of a departure in, in our country in particular um, from values held within Christianity, going from being um, like magnified to uh, perhaps neutral to some of them downright vilified, um, it becomes hard to perceive that there could be a reality in which the world as a whole saw Christians as a net gain. But I just want to say this. I think that's a lie. I, I think that's a lie. Uh, while I want to call us to this today, that we would be salt of the earth, that we would be a people that brings out what is best in the world, that we would be a, a distinct group of people in the world, I think that is a lie that the world doesn't already see believers in those ways in many different ways. Um, uh, one place to look just for this is charity uh, and healthcare in our country. 
Uh, the, the vast majority of charities, and, and until recently, the vast number of hospitals in this country were all founded by groups of believers. Many of them were completely charitable endeavors in their onset in the medical setting. That's why you see so many hospitals named after saints. You see hospitals in particular in the South surrounding around like denominational systems even because this was a way that believers sought to love and care for people in the world. Um, if, if you were to pull statistics, and I didn't want to quote one specifically because it varies, but somewhere between uh, 20 and 40 percent is, is the people who uh, are, are regular church attenders. And that's not how we would define Christians, but that's how sometimes these surveys are gone. 20 and 40 percent more likely to be significant charitable donors in our country. Um, I think by and large, believers do have a net positive impact in our world. But I think there is a challenge to us as a people to have our persona and our intention in our local environments more clearly proclaim this in our actions and not just in our beliefs, which feel controversial at this point. And that is not a call for us to have compromise in terms of what we think the Bible calls us to be as believers, but it is to say this, that our call to a certain kind of morality has almost nothing to do with our call to love people around us who differ with us in those ways. Now, if anything, Scripture calls us frequently when we feel like people are opposed to us to extend love and grace to them. So believers are called to be this. They're called to be salt, first of all. And we'll jump into the second illustration in a minute. But we need to heed Jesus' words in the latter half of his description here. And he says, hey, you are to be the salt of the earth. And we get this picture of what that's going to be. And we've just drawn that out perhaps even too much by the look of some people that love me dearly in the back. Uh, but we're supposed to be this thing. But then Jesus issues this warning. He says, uh, what if salt isn't salty anymore? What if salt gives up its taste? Can it just be made salty again? And then he describes it as essentially useless. And so there is this, this veiled, not threat, but there is this command that feels like a harsh way to draw it out, that if we as believers are not having positive impact in the places in which we live and gather and, and kind of enjoy and work, then we have lost the point of our purpose. And we, in a sense, become to the world around us expendable. Uh, this will happen again in, in a second as we get to the next illustration. Uh, verse 14 is where we'll pick it up next. Uh, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. Uh, so Jesus uh, gives a, 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 um, a complementary illustration. That is to say, Jesus is trying to illustrate the exact same thing as he did in a moment ago. But in case the salt thing didn't stick for you, didn't feel applicable to you, he says, hey, what believers are like is they are like light. Now this is an illustration that's really common in scripture, right? Uh, Jesus is often identified as the light, but he says, hey, you, now as followers of Jesus, as disciples of me, just as I am the light of the world, you are to be a light to the world. Um, and, and I know this might seem trite or, or silly, but I, I just want the reminder in this moment of this, okay? 
is like the absolute insanity that like light is, right? Now, couldn't get it darker in here than it is, but, but you can all see this. Uh, Jesus' words about you and I being the light of the world is that it would be impossible not to see you, that it would be impossible to hide this, like a city on a hill, that you would be unable to. To be hidden. I remember when we lived down in Texas and we would often like, we had lived in Chicago previously. And so uh, we would come back up for weddings or to see friends on occasion. And when you come into Chicago, uh, specifically from the South, kind of heading North, you're kind of coming out of like the nothingness of Southern Illinois, where it's just really flat, lots of farms, really, really dark. And so this was an amazing thing where when we would get to come back home to Chicago, uh, I, honestly, I have like these almost like romantic, emotional feelings about it because you would just see this haze and this glow like hundreds and hundreds of miles in the distance. Like there was no ability not to perceive like, hey, there's something really, really bright up there. And you get closer and closer and then you'd see the city and it was unhideable in this way. I mean, it makes me think back to like the stories from World War II and the way uh, that people were called like black out their homes to try and protect from bombing runs and how difficult it was to hide the cities uh, from these German bombers that would come in because any light peeking through became a target for them to target this city. Uh, Jesus says that your presence in the world is to be like an unhideable light that you would be distinctly present so much so that in a world that is often described as darkness, that you would shine like a candle in a dark room that you would be impossible to ignore. Uh, and this is really, I, I should avoid uh, those singular because this is supposed to be like all of us together, that, that you all, that us, that we as a body, as believers, wherever the church is, would be impossible to look away from. Uh, light, um, light in particular that is produced from a flame is inherently hard to hide, isn't it? because it's hard to cover. Um, and that's why Jesus gives this illustration. Like we live in obviously a different time where our lights function very, very differently. Most light sources, well, really all light sources were, were flame-based light sources like a lamp. And when you have a flame as your light source, uh, containment becomes uh, at best difficult, at worst, really, really dangerous, right? Um, whether that would be from like asphyxiation because you're burning something in an enclosed space or just from the inability for that flame to get oxygen and it to go out. And so so he kind of draws what is a ridiculous illustration. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Now, now think of this in this way. You go around your house, in particular for my children, and you turn on lights and you leave them on with zero thought about the cost of that, right? Um, I have fully arrived at the dad thing. Um, I literally, before I went back to last night, I was like, how is it even possible that the lights are in the basement or on? Uh, we have in our laundry room, uh, it's ridiculous. It's like this, like, it's an LED, but it's like the brightest thing. It's got like wings on it. It's the brightest thing in the world. And, and you people in the back row have never turned that off. I'm determined. I'm the only one that knows there's a switch for that thing, right? We walk around and we use light and we turn lights on and off with zero thought. But the thing for Jesus is he's like, no one would light a lamp because uh, the, the source of that light was something valuable. 
The oil that had to be purchased for a family was not an insignificant expense for those without means. He says, you're not going to light a lamp. You're not going to waste your oil to light a lamp and then put it under a basket. That'd be utterly stupid. And he draws this illustration to say that you as a believer in the world, for you to have been saved by God, for, for God to have reached down into creation to offer you salvation, to change your life, to do all of that and then hide it, for you to have no net benefit for the world around you is ridiculous. God says in this passage that part of his inherent design in the salvation of individuals was that they would benefit the world around them. He says, no one can hide a city on the hill. No one puts a lamp under a basket, rather on a lampstand. Then what does it do? It gives light to all who are in the house. Not only is light unable to be hidden, not only is it so purposeful uh, in its existence, it is also meant to be shared. He says, light is best when it's placed in the open for all to use and see. Light is a shared resource for all who are present. It blesses everyone indiscriminately. This is the illustration that Jesus draws for believers in the world. That our mere existence should be like a light offered freely to all who are in darkness. Not shared for just those that we like. Not shared for this, just those that we agree with in that present moment. Or for everyone that we come in contact with. Why? He says, verse 16, this is in that same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, this statement uh, kind of backs up to the point of both being salt and light. It brings some definition to what it means to be those things, and it gives us a reason to attempt it. Uh, first is this, uh, he, he brings, actually, he brings uh, some, some information to us that, that what he means when he says that you ought to be salt, seasoning in the world, what he means when he says that you ought to be light in the world around you is that he means that you are doing good things, that, that good works are flowing out of your life. He is talking about tangible things in your life that you are doing that are a benefit to the people around you. That's what he means when he says, be salt and light. He defines it for us here. And then he says, the reason that you're doing this is that when you do this, you are glorifying God. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we went through our mission, that, that, one of, uh, that, our, that our core purpose at River City is that we would glorify God through proclaiming the gospel to our city and ourselves. We glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to our city and ourselves. Now, to glorify God extends uh, not only then to the things that we do, but to the way that our actions inspire the glorification of God and others, even when they are unaware of the fact that they are doing that. Because that's what's implicit here, is that as we do good works in the world around us, as we love and care for other people in the place that we have been placed, that we have then an opportunity to inspire the magnification, the glorification, and hopefully the recognition of the goodness of God in people that we come in contact with. We are called to be salt. We are called to be light. So with that, we'll return to the statement that we began at, um, that, that our goal is that we would have impact. 
That is that we would respond to God's kindness through unnatural generosity in our community leading to positive local impact. Now, as I said at the beginning of this series, uh, I think what is really significant about where we are heading as a church body is, is that while many of these values and these things are things that we have talked about before, we are trying to have concerted plans to take action around these things over the next three years. And so what I wanna do for just a moment is kind of walk through some of how we're processing this for this year and into the future. Uh, we desire that our impact and, and our ability to be salt and light in the world would flow from hearts that are overwhelmed by the actions of God, causing us to respond in unnatural generosity outside our walls. Uh, here, here's what I want you to think about with this. Uh, last week, we talked about formation. Uh, these things directly flow into one another. Formation keeps us in constant awareness of God's goodness, kindness, and generosity to you and I. It should flow then that when we find ourselves in connection with God, uh, through being in the word of God, through praying, through fasting, through uh, a Sabbath, through times of silence and solitude, when we are daily confronted with the risen Jesus that then arising out of us ought to be a generosity to the world around us. So, so our hope is that the local impact that we have uh, would, not flow, uh, would not flow from a desire uh, to perform, uh, would not flow from a desire to be recognized, okay? Uh, I think that's a big competition in my heart as I try and check myself constantly is like, am I just hoping for a newspaper article? But probably not, because who reads the paper, right? But, it, but am, I, am I hoping for a viral TikTok? I don't know. Like, is that my hope in this? That, 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 that my generosity, that my, my ability to be salt and light would just be seen by others? No, instead, uh, where we want to center our hearts is that as we view the risen Jesus, as we see our Savior and his kindness and his offer of salvation to us, that generosity flows out of us because we see that we are called to offer to the world around us a sliver of what we have been offered. That that would be our joy. So we desire that the source of our generosity to our community is through seeing God's kindness to us and having that flow out of us into our community and that that would then have positive local impact. But I want to say a few things about this. First of all, it has a cost. It has a cost. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost our emotional capacity. It's going to cost money. Like all these three, three things. For us to be this kind of people, uh, it is going to call us to sacrifice in all of those ways. Now, it's, it's likely that our greatest barriers to local impact will be time and effort. And, and that's just speaking for me, myself, if nothing else. Uh, the hardest thing to sacrifice is going to be attention, is going to be time, and is going to be the, the, the feeling that we have really limited energy and we're busy. Second with that, we need to be a people that do not expect immediate returns on our efforts. It is not going to be through one or two acts of kindness in our community that our community begins to know us as salt and light. It is gonna be through faithfulness over years. Uh, so, so those three principles, like time's our greatest barrier. Uh, we shouldn't expect an immediate return. And then the third thing I wanna say this is that, that doing good is sometimes gonna just be good enough, okay? Like what we want to do is have positive impact. And we're going to be tempted to like try and count this in all sorts of different ways. Like, like how did that influence? Like who was coming to church here? Like 
what was the ultimate impact of this person's life 10 years down the road? That's not going to always able to be attainable to us in the moment. Instead, we must focus on that idea that, that we can try, that we ought to try. And so we're going to focus our efforts first on like the area in which we meet. Uh, then our city as a whole, then our region, our state, and our world. Our, our goal should and will be uh, that our kindness and generosity would cascade out from just this neighborhood to the world around us. Both as you people maybe are called to be somewhere else or move, as your heart for generosity is inspired and you're able to do, give, and participate in other things all over. But we must start here where we are placed, that we are the salt and light here because this is where God in his sovereignty in this moment has placed us. There's tons of merit and worldwide effort, but until our own area is touched by the generosity of our body, uh, I think we are called to focus here. Um, our desire for this positive local impact uh, in, in this regard is, is that the people around us would perceive our net impact on our community as positive. I've said this before, that, that I want to be true this, that if River City ceased to exist today, that people in our neighborhood would notice. The people would just know. And I, and I don't know that that's true right now. And that's okay, because there is grace for that. So, so what are some steps toward this? Because I said that. Uh, first, just a couple things. In, in the next 12 months, uh, here's how we hope to being uh, known and doing good in Northeast Grand Rapids just as a start. Uh, first of all, we're just trying to figure out, like, how do we, how do we be a positive visual element? So, so thankful. Um, uh, Troy and Taylor City Group, and many of you are involved in this, and some other people have pitched in and just done a ton of work on the exterior, trying to make, like, the exterior of our building more inviting. We're looking at, like, exterior signage options and things like that as we like renew our agreement to be in this space uh, for the immediate future to make sure that like our, our building and our presence in our environment is inviting. That's a really low bar, but just a way to be a positive presence. Uh, uh, second, I, I really do think this event that we have coming up in a week and a half is important and is a step in this. And so I'll throw this up here for you. Um, I want you to think about if you can participate in this. And, and no one, I'm terrified of doing this, to be honest with you, okay? Like, if you are scared, I'm gonna say I'm more scared, like, because I really like being able to control my interactions and kind of know what's going on as I meet other people, but, but I am truly excited about our ability as a body, knowing who we are, to step out into our community and, and just say this, hey, we're here and we care about you. Um, and so we're working through plans on like what we're going to be able to give to people. Um, our hope is to be able to have something to hand to people to say, we're thankful for your time and even opening your door. Uh, because what we don't want this to feel like is one more like uh, a politician coming by or, or feel awkward or pressured anyway. Our, our sole goal in this is not even to invite, although of course uh, we will make sure people know that they are welcome here, but just to say, hey, we're here and we care about you and we wanted to do something to say hi because we are your neighbors and we haven't been able to to do this. So uh, that's a QR code we'll leave up here for a couple seconds. Like uh, we need you to register for two reasons because uh, our hope is that we can jump right out. And so we're starting at 545. So if you need to come right from work, we're going to have some like pizzas here. So you can grab a slice of pizza. We're going to do some training and explain to you what we're doing and then spend some time in prayer together before we head out. Because we're hoping to be uh, uh, in this building for about 30 to 40 minutes doing those things, head out into the neighborhood uh, and do the thing we're going to do and, and then be able to return and be back 
back before uh, it gets too dark outside. So that's that's why we're trying to start earlier in the day and make sure you do that. So, so register so we can plan on food, know how many people we're going to have so we can print out and kind of have enough resources for that evening. So that being said, like just, just inviting, just a way to say hi, to introduce ourselves, just so that people know we're here, that, that as we start to act and participate more in our community, that we'd be able to engage in that way. Um, next, we're going to talk in a few weeks uh, about um, empowering leaders here at River City Church and our hopes for that. Uh, but, but one of the things we're going to do with that is we're trying to recruit um, people to serve in the role of deacon, people who help uh, care for the physical activities and the physical space of River City Church and be able to train those people. And so one of those deacons that we really hope to recruit is someone to be in charge of and to lead community engagement and community, I, I'm still coming up with words because they all feel churchy and awkward, but something to say like, ways to bless and love and care for our community. So we are looking for someone that might want to serve in that way. So would you pray towards that end? If you are that person who's like, man, I want to do this stuff. I want to be involved. And hopefully this is going to be a team effort, not all on you, but a person who's a point person, uh, keeping this on the radar, helping to organize and plan events. So we're going to hopefully recruit and train a deacon uh, by midwinter to these things. And then our goal is that we would have three distinct community blessing events throughout the next 18 months. That we would have three ways, uh, things like the coat drive we've done in the past, as well as other ideas and partnerships that we hope come out of working with this deacon uh, to be able to plan ways that we can love and care for our community distinctly. Uh, three times over the next 18 months. Finally, I'll say this. Our goal as a body is that we would have ample opportunity to show and share the message of Jesus Christ. That, that our first effort in this is to do what Jesus said. That we would just be present and have our presence in our community be a blessing. We would be salt and light, but we uh, distinctly hope, and it is our mandate and our prayer that as we act out in love, that that would ultimately, in showing the gospel, give an opportunity to share the gospel. I think sometimes those things are going to come at the same time, and sometimes those things are going to be years apart. Um, so this is on our radar. This is our goal, that we would be a church that has impact that we would respond to God's kindness through our natural generosity in our community leading to positive local impact. So would you pray with me now uh, that, that God, the only one who can make any of this happen, uh, would be kind and, and do so. Let's pray together. God, you've called and commanded us to be salt and light and, and anything that you have called and us commanded us to do or to be, you have promised to empower. Um, and so God, as we step into this next season, we think about what it might mean for us to be salt and light in this neighborhood, in the Northeast side of Grand Rapids, in the city as a whole, in our region and our state, our country and the world. Uh, God, would you give us big plans and Lord, would you more than anything grow us to have really, really big hearts? God, would you uh, make us more focused uh, on the people around us than ourselves? God, would we be less caught up in, in, in the divisions that we're constantly reminded of and instead focus on the unifying aspects of humanity that we all understand and experience? God, would you help us uh, in our desires to help, not to do harm? God, would you uh, help us uh, not to fall prey to the temptation to make this about us, to brag about what we've done, um, or to do good only for ourselves. Instead, Lord, will we truly seek to be a blessing to those around us because, Lord, we begin to reflect 
the amazing blessing that you have been to us. God, help us as we're called to sacrifice and maybe we're caught off guard by that. Maybe we feel like we're tapped out. Maybe we feel like um, financially there's just no room to give. Maybe we feel like our calendars are so full and we are so exhausted and tired. Lord, would you help us as we seek to love what you love to create margin in those areas for what you've called us to be and do? Uh, God, would you help us to repent of the selfishness and of the self-assuredness that makes us think that we know what will make us happy? Instead, run, Lord, into what you say we are called to be and where we can find our ultimate joy. God, thank you that there is grace for what we haven't done. And thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus and his sacrifice, there is ample opportunity to walk in repentance and to try again. Lord, give us your help. Lord, make the work of our hands have permanence and effect. God, save the people who live around this place. And God, would we have the distinct honor and blessing to being a, a small part as an agent of your great work in this city. Here we pray, Lord. Amen.